eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision. I am your host, Ryan Abraham. I'm joined alongside Mr. Triple Double, Connor Morissette, and a Helium Boy, and a Cilantro Boy, Mr. 18K, 20K, 10K, whatever you want to call him, Chris N. Trevino. We're all here in studio, fresh off our trip to the Pacific Northwest. Fresh would not be the word we could describe all of us are at the state right now. We got back to Portland at 420 this morning. And then flew back down here to Southern California, and we're here to do the show. Uh, maybe running on fumes. I don't know if you, I, I, I would say I am. How are, you, how are you guys doing? I'm running on fumes too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's, <laughs> that's all I got. That's all I got. I can't even spare words because I have to conserve them all for the show. We, we're uh, yeah, spare some words here. Uh, but yeah, we want to talk about the trip up there. Of course, USC falls to the Oregon Ducks, thirty-six to. 27, closer than what a lot of people thought. Um, but yeah, there was uh, it's still, you know, it, it was a pretty decisive victory uh, for the Ducks uh, against USC. A lot of mistakes, a lot of stuff that we had seen before, even with uh, defensive coordinator Alex Grinch not there. So if you're watching us live or on the replay, thank you very much. But for everyone that's live, we are live on YouTube, we are live on Facebook, and we are live on 
Twitter through our USC football Twitter account. So all different places you can watch us there. If you are on YouTube or Facebook, you can put your comments and I should be able to see them on the screen. And uh, if you have a question, just write question in all bold or whatever and, and, and uh, caps and I will start and we'll get to it later. We are also going to take live calls today. So 5124-TUNNEL is the number. We'd love to keep them brief if you can, uh, but we'd love to hear uh, what you have to say about this game and, and things going forward. Uh, we do have some breaking news. Uh, I do like to use the board sometimes. Yes, uh, the UCLA game. For USC-UCLA, that will be at 12.30 on ABC uh, Saturday. Uh, that's November 18th. We're very happy about that. No late game. So I know there's some people up, upset because of the tailgating aspect of it. But considering we went to bed at 4.30 in the morning this morning because the game was so late up in Oregon, I'm very happy for a day game. I don't know if you guys are. I know, Connor, you were happy. Chris, I'm not sure about you. When I was a kid and I go to Maryland games, 12.30 games suck. Because you don't get the tailgating aspect. Yeah. But now that I'm older and I don't tailgate, obviously for college football games, yes, 1230 is a fine. I know you're all are upset probably because you want to, you know, have the tailgate experience. But from our perspective, 1230, great kickoff time. Home games, I don't typically care much about the time. But after yesterday and just how long and late that was, I'm good with an early kickoff this week. And I think USC Psycho, our friend Roy, he put it best, like, a lot of people are just excited to get the season over with. And if it's an early <laughs> last game of the regular season in this specific instance, I don't think too many people are upset. Yeah, there's still a lot to play for, I would say. I mean, it's a rivalry game. Like, you want to beat UCLA, you want to keep that bell. Um, you know, UCLA had a terrible loss to Arizona State at home where they used all kinds of weird offensive line formations and stuff. Uh, yeah, the Vultures are circling around Chip Kelly over there right now. So, yes, USC is reeling. Um what losing uh what four of the last five is that right is that i think that's accurate right four of the last five do you say usc or ucla usc's lost four oh yes USC usc's lost four of the sure. last five. Oh yeah ucla just lost I, I can't math i'm sorry yeah ucla lost to a team that's beat one fcs team all year or fbs team all year you got a chance to, to get a win against your rival now ucla put everything into it so i would say if you're a little bummed out totally get it you don't want to lose that many games if you're USC, but you have, you can still go out on a little bit of a high note and get a win over UCLA. So I would uh, make sure you get out to the Coliseum and hope you have a good time with that. But we've got to talk about uh, this game. Um, you know, if you guys aren't over at uscfootball.com, ton of content went up. We were working to the wee hours of the morning, videos, photos, analysis, um, all kinds of stuff that's gone up on uscfootball.com. If you're not a subscriber, you can, you can get a subscription for a buck for the first month. They'll just go check it out um, or 30% off an annual membership. Everyone that gets it, they never regret it. They always love it. You want to be the most informed USC fan at the water cooler. If you still gather at those at your office, your place of work, if you're not working from home, uh, yeah, uscfootball.com is the, uh, the way to do that. But we are back. Like I said, we went up there, Pacific Northwest, um, state of Portland. It's about a two-hour drive to get to... Eugene, and we had a fun uh, Friday night meetup with a bunch of USC uh, fans. I want to shout out to Asif, who sent me a couple tickets. He just wanted me to give them to uh, USC fans. Um, so there were hot ticket up there. There was sold out. It was like, I think, the fifth most attended game uh, in Autzen Stadium history. 
And uh, we found Neil from the Peristyle over at uscfootball.com. Gave him the tickets. Hey, here you go. You can have them. He was going to bring a couple family members because him and his wife were already going. And then he goes, hey, would you like to go to the, my, I think it was his niece, works at the Nike company store. So he sends us three passes. So three of us went to the Nike store. That was pretty fun. Uh, so before we did the meetup, we went over to the Nike store. I got this. I'm wearing some <laughs> some Nike some swag. You got a new hat, not a Nike. But. The, the hat is coming too. The, the hat is new also. But uh, did you get you guys have a good time at the Nike store? Yeah, I mean, it was very overwhelming. Just seeing you know everyone shopping, all the shoes and everything. You know, tasty little discount at forty percent off at the end. So yeah, definitely a fun experience. I was looking for a Celtics jersey, and they had one forty percent off. Jason Tatum, authentic, pulled the trigger, and uh, a little pre-holiday gift for myself. So yeah, thanks Ryan, and thanks to everyone who made that happen. It was new. We got to meet Neil, him at the yeah. store too. That was very cool. Um, that he also he went there. full Portland and bought a beanie. Yes. So he looked very uh, oh yeah Pacific Northwest. So it was great. He was beating it up. So that was definitely <laughs> uh, that was cool. And then we had the meetup, and it was at right here. If you can see uh, the ten. Uh, Barrel Brewing Company, and uh, that was a lot of fun. A lot of USC fans came out. There was fun to be had. Um, there was a lot of. We were there early. We were there at like three o'clock, and then I think sometime around nine p.m. Like this happened. Uh, you can see like Connor and I were arm wrestling, and I don't even know. <laughs> I'm not sure why we were arm wrestling. It was Jack's fault. Jack started it. I. What did he really or like? Because I I heard it was you. Yeah, it was definitely as a as a. You know, observer of history, I he wanted he quote wanted to push Ryan into a locker, and then we decided, <laughs> you know, that would be a little too much, and maybe we could just arm wrestle it. I didn't bring up arm wrestling. I did say the locker thing, but I didn't bring up the arm <laughs> wrestling. And then Jack sort of, I think he brought it up, or maybe someone else did. And well, Chris and Jack were ready idea. with their phones. They wanted to like <laughs> they they were facilitating this. They wanted this to happen. So and shotgun called it off. And it was a stalemate. It was a, it was definitely a stalemate. Both of us were over. <laughs> Even though the picture looks like you're yeah, it looks like you're toying with ass. him. No, and I wasn't. Like, this is all you it have. Wasn't, it wasn't moving. Yeah, it was just <laughs> like we went a little bit. Yeah. But, um, Jeff says he's got video of it. See, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I don't know why. I'm not sure why that was happening. I, I don't think I've arm wrestled in like 20 years, but <laughs> it was very you know. Yeah, I don't know what that was, but we had a good time. Uh, thanks to everyone that showed up. Um, oh, I put up the wrong comment there. Sorry. Let me try to put that, put the comment up there again, but to everyone that showed up, we appreciate it. And it was a lot of fun. Those were, those have been great. Those were like one of the highlights of all those road trips. I think we've done one at every road trip, except for Cal. We didn't do a, a meetup, but we did everywhere else. And uh, a lot of USC fans would come out and have a good time. So that was uh, a lot of fun. Sort of delaying talking about the game <laughs> because yeah, there was a lot of stuff kind of going in. Uh, to it, our long trip, the, you know, we rented an electric car and had to like charge at three 30 in the morning. That wasn't so fun, but we, we got, we got back, we made it. Um, and yeah, so the game, not so good. Uh, I mean, it was a nine point, you know, nine point loss when you look at it, but I mean, it was a three score game and Oregon didn't really, it didn't seem like they were putting much together in the fourth quarter. USC had this kind of comeback at the end. I had someone come up to me at the airport and was like, "Like, yeah, man, that was re really close." And I'm like, "I don't." That my feeling was it was not. Like, I, maybe I'm being uh, just overly pessimistic, but it did. It didn't feel like it was that close. Um, Oregon had four different drive scoring drives of more than 80 yards. This wasn't a 
bad field position thing. Oregon had bad field position a lot, and they would just take the ball and go all the way down the field. Sometimes it was a 70-something yard touchdown pass. There were two of those. And according to Rich SC, USC is now dead last in FBS, 133rd in the country at allowing plays of 50 yards or more. So obviously that's no bueno. Um, you know, and the offense had some stuff going. Like Caleb Williams did some cool stuff, but he was under pressure a whole lot in this game. Uh, they had the one fumbled exchange. That was the only turnover in that one. But I don't know. I mean, kind of get your overall thoughts. Uh, whoever wants to start, it was just to me, it didn't feel like it was that close. It, the score looked to me closer than it was, uh, than, you know, than what the game felt like watching it live. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I did think Oregon a little bit like going for two really early and the 12 penalties and the second half, their game plan, they just seemed content to kind of hold on to the ball, run it a little bit, not take too many shots. I think a better team, if USC or if Oregon had played a better team and they had that same game plan and same style, I think a better team would have beaten them. And I tweeted and a lot of people didn't like what I had to say. I thought that the last two teams that USC's played, Washington and Oregon, they were both beatable based on what they did in those games, USC just wasn't the team to beat them. And we can get into a little bit more of that. People thought I was saying, oh, USC should have won both those games. No, that's not what I said at all. I was just saying both I thought were flawed. Washington, a little bit more so than Oregon, but even the Ducks as well. All those penalties and uh, just in that second half, what they did, not really moving the ball as effectively as they did earlier in the game. I, I thought a better team could have beaten them. And unfortunately, it just wasn't USC. Yeah, I think that's just been the whole frustrating part for USC fans this whole season is that USC is talented and they could they could have won every game that they've lost this season, you know, if a couple things go their way. You know, obviously you can take a look at the Notre Dame game as maybe being the one, but you know, two two scores there in Washington and Utah you can win and there is a conceivable way they walk out of Autzen Stadium with this win if some things go differently, but that's been the story all season. They don't capitalize on things, they fail to capture momentum when they do get some momentum. Your your defense gets that Huge third down stop, and then what do you do? You fumble the ball. Like this has been a story about this this offense and this defense all season. They just can't seem to be on the same page when they need it the most. I I would push back a little bit. It did feel a little closer to me. I felt like, as you said, I was expecting Oregon to maybe try to run up the score as much as they can, but it did seem content to kind of hold their lead. I thought Dan Landing was going to be out for blood to try to stomp USC into the ground, but the crowd kind of felt a lot quieter than it was in the second half. And I don't know, it just felt weird in the second half. But I felt like there was a chance USC could have tied that game up. Obviously, if the, the two-point conversion goes a little differently there at the end, Brendan Rice was huge on that drive, but just couldn't muscle his way in for that two-point conversion. I think maybe it flips a little bit. You know, you can argue about the onside kick debate or whatever, but they only had the one timeout. But I do think it was a little bit closer than what it felt like. I mean, you only go into halftime down eight. I think all things considered how you started that game, that was huge for them. You know, you give up a 81-yard touchdown and a 74-yard touchdown. I, 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 you, after that, you, you imagine they were going to be down by 30 points going to halftime, but only be down eight. Yeah, I saw them coming out of halftime. They were fired up. They felt like they were in this game, but obviously they could not execute there in that third quarter and then had to play catch-up for the fourth. But I think, like you said, I think this was a game they could have won, and I think that's what what's most frustrating for USC fans. Yeah, definitely frustrating for that. I think Oregon made a lot of mistakes. I mean, 12 penalties. Um, there, It just seemed like they couldn't get out of their own way. But what it came down to, to me, was, okay, you have a new defense or a simpler defense. Um, 
it looked very similar at the very beginning when Oregon scoring on, you know, it was a three-play drive and a two-play drive and just touchdown, touchdown, boom, boom, boom. Uh, and USC's offense did some great things just to, like, keep up. And I think, Connor, you'd asked about – I think I believe you asked about um, – it just seemed like it was hard. Like every yard was tough for USC where Oregon was just picking them up uh, in chunks. You know, it was just like, okay, just all at once. It didn't It didn't really matter. I wanted to see this defense get some stops. And there was one three and out, which was when the game was sort of, I think it was a two-score game at the time. And it just seemed like, okay, it's probably out of hand. Oregon, I believe, got a penalty and just, they didn't look as interested. So that was good. You get one three and out. But the only other stop was a, a missed field goal attempt, a 41-yard field goal attempt. So there wasn't there was limited drives. There was only eight drives, really, real drives for Oregon where that wasn't ending in a kneel down to end a half or end a game. And really only one time, they only punted one, you know, one time. There was really one stop. And there was a lot of opportunities. Like being at your own you know, Oregon at their own one yard line, Oregon inside the 20. I'm not, you, you can't have more, you know, four 80 plus yard drives if you're not starting in bad field position. That means the defense has a lot of opportunity to get stops and they didn't. So when it, when you could just see like if, if the game kept playing and you're like, okay, Oregon, you need to score to win. Like I felt pretty confident they would score to win, you know, situationally, the game you know, kind of got weird towards the end. But when it came down to it, it was like, okay, when Oregon had the ball, like at the end of the game, when they just kneeled down, like they could have scored if they, if, that's the feeling I got. So I know it was close, but it just seemed like without getting those stops and they were close on some, they had like a fourth and one, you, you got a penalty that. Yeah. Don't forget about the, the big fourth and one, you know, that was, that was a game changing play as well. Just like, Oregon just, could have just, punted, right? just a little thing there that, you know, get the, uh, the offsides and give them a first down, just like couldn't get out their own way at times. Yeah, it, It's the same problem. The last two weeks, the offense needs to be perfect against a team with another good offense like Washington and Oregon and USC's offense had some nice moments, but they weren't perfect. And then defensively, you're just at a loss for words with some of the mistakes. I mean, Bo Nick starts the game two of two for 161 yards and two touchdowns. Like, you're not going to win when, when you start the game like that. I don't care what the heck happens the rest of the way. And USC, credit to them for making it close, but that's, like, laughable. That doesn't happen. That That's... Like, USC has too much talent. I know the defense is bad, and, and it's it's the worst in the country. So people say, what are you talking about? But, like, there's too much talent on the field to, to start the way they did defensively in that game. And then you're playing catch-up, and it's really hard to do. I think the one positive from this game is now that USC is totally eliminated from the Pac-12 championship. And after last week, Alex Grinch being gone, Lincoln Riley needs to make some serious changes. And yeah. That's going to happen in the future now. He can say we're close, we're close, but when you've lost four or five, it doesn't matter how close you are. Even if USC was close to winning some of those games, the results matter. And it's not like they won four of them and lost one. They only won one of these games. So yeah. they, you know, how close really can you be when that's the same story every week? Just how they started defensively, that was really the story for me. Like, credit to them for coming back to the game, but you can't do that against an Oregon team that, is really talented, like two for two, 161 yards and two touchdowns. That's <laughs> terrible. Ryan on, on, on YouTube put up uh, USC's eighth nationally in team talent and Oregon's 10th, according to 247. So that's the team talent composite. I haven't looked at it lately, but I'll, I'll assume what Ryan said is correct. But the talent is similar, but it didn't look, I mean, that's what the biggest problem I have is this USC defense is more talented than it was last year, but it's still as bad. I mean, I... I, I think it's fair to say it's still as bad. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. Last in the country, had given up fifty yard plus plays. Like, if it was happening for one week, you're like, man, we just missed some 
assignments or whatever. It happens week after week. So that's a that's a fundamental problem with the defense. So uh, apparently getting rid of Alex Grinch midweek did not uh, assist with that. And Oregon's better in the trenches, though, for sure. Like their offensive line is everything you'd wish your offensive line was. I think what USC had three pressures and Oregon had like 23 pressures which that's not a recipe for success. Their defensive line produces at a much higher level than USC, even though there is some talent on that USC defensive line. So I do think that talent gap, it's not huge, but in some key areas it certainly is. And the offensive line comes to mind and then the defensive line too. The yeah. bigger thing is, yeah, I think you're right. The talent gap is closer, but they're just deeper. Yeah, oh, Oregon's yeah. a much oh, yeah. deeper team, and you could see that on the field. And speaking of like depth, you know, USC's depth was beat up all all game, you know, coming in, they were down. Eric Gentry, you're down some safeties. Jalen Smith didn't travel. Christian Roland Wallace was 100%. You didn't have Sierra Wright. You know, Jacoby Covington's still in that back. They were banged up in that that secondary. Makai Lebman is playing key snaps with, uh, you know, a wide receiver turned cornerback. Prophet Brown and him were both in at the same time. You know, they were just throwing whatever they could at the wall to help stick because they were they were down bad in terms of bodies with the uh, the secondary. So, yeah, I mean, it was they were always going to be up against it going to this game against this, you know, Oregon offense and new, you know, firing Alex Grinch and, you know, new coordinators and just kind of trying to get something together and in a short week and then being down some key guys. It was always they were always up against it, but you know, they did fight a little bit, but you can't start like you said how you you give up two 70 plus yard plays and those guys are ex experienced guys those aren't even the young guy you know in the yeah. in the first play it's max williams and Kalen bullock i think the second one christian roland wallace was off and there wasn't enough safety help there maybe damani was in on it i'd have to rewatch the play but you know what i mean it wasn't like oh, okay makai lemon he's playing on an emergency basis he really screwed this up or christian pierce he messed this up traquan fagans i thought all those guys actually played pretty well and yeah made me wonder why we haven't seen more of them <laughs> that's true we had a comment from a dog's life in portland Offensive line didn't have a false start. That's amazing at Austin. The pass blocking was not so good sometimes. Yeah, I, I think I asked, uh, it was Taj Washington about that, like the environment. Uh, it was very loud. I wanted to talk about the environment a little bit. Chris, you were down on the field. I know you tweeted it was loud. Um, you know, they have fun traditions, you know, the, uh, the playing shout after the third quarter, heading into the fourth uh, with the whole Animal House theme. They had like Dan Fouts and a bunch of people like, Oregon celebrities on the uh, screen. It was kind of funny. Um, but, you know, it got loud. But I would, and it was packed for sure. Like I said, uh, the fifth largest crowd ever. But it, I thought USC handled all that stuff really well. Like if you, and Taj mentioned like Oregon State last year where they really struggled in half a stadium. I think they've adjusted to sort of the noise thing aspect of it. If, you know, there was problems with the offensive line, but it wasn't pre snap, which is good. You know, but I, what did you guys think of the, overall environment we can feel it pretty good too it's a it's very um narrow you know it's 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 very steep kind of like if you went to Allegiant stadium uh for a pac-12 championship game we were super high up in the press box you're kind of looking down but i think all the the noise goes down so chris you were on the field too so kind of get your guys' thoughts on that super loud early in that game i tweeted it's loud send help it's very it was very loud down there i could hardly think and like i said it seemed a lot quieter in the yeah, second half. I felt like, it was. yeah, they were, uh, I don't know if they just expected to win. They were checked out. Maybe the beers were hitting a little bit more, but they mellowed out a little bit in terms of the noise, but yeah, impressive stadium, you know, my first time in Autzen. So I was I was happy to be able to see it. Uh, cool campus. And, but yeah, I was impressed by that crowd early on and yeah, you're right. They didn't have any pre-stat penalties. I know Justin Dietrich was very happy about that, that they were like, Hey, 
no pre-snap penalties. And you compare it to like their first road game against Arizona State where they were just terrible handling the noise and how they handle it this week. You know, obviously we're talking about a seven and four team, but again, I, I thought that was a a nice thing to see. You know, they did have to burn a couple timeouts, but the, for most part, you know, no penalties. That that's a that's a good sign of improvement uh, down the stretch. That you kind of pass that final test of handling noise in your your final road test. That's true, but the pass blocking wasn't mm-hmm. where it needed to be, and so that sort of evens out and maybe even makes it a little bit uh, worse in, in my opinion. But I think to the point about the noise, Chris, like Caleb Williams scores a touchdown with 12 seconds left in the first half. That sort of sucked the air out of the building. And then Brendan Rice, they have him on third and goal. They don't complete the pass. Their Oregon fans are going nuts. USC runs pretty much the same route with Rice the next play. He catches it to make it a uh, 36-21 game. And again, it got really quiet. So yeah. credit to USC for, for fighting in that game. People, again, they won't want to hear it because they're, they're sick of Riley saying, we fought so hard. And they and they do fight. But um, it was USC making plays as to why it, it was so quiet in that game. And so I think they deserve credit for that. It, they covered the spread, which is always good for a team that hadn't covered the spread in like a month and a half. So they're getting closer. But, I mean, it's all about wins and losses. And they didn't. Ultimately, get that done. Hashtag backdoor cover. Yeah, backdoor cover. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Had. Um, we had a uh, we have a super chat. So thanks to Michael. Um, he says, "Can Riley build a team and not just an offense? He hasn't shown he can so far in his career." It's the million dollar question. I mean, he's built teams like they've got the playoffs. College football playoff. That's a team. I mean, they like almost beat Georgia. Like you know, like. Yeah, they were close. I mean, he didn't win a playoff game, but, man, they made it. And they, they didn't look like a team that was just an offense. They looked like a real team. It was back and forth, you know, that kind of stuff. They, they made the playoff his first three years, and the argument is those were Bob Stoops-built teams, and that's why Riley could focus more on the offense and the quarterback, and the defense was already kind of plugged in because Bob Stoops had recruited so well. In year three, does that argument hold up? But I think Oklahoma fans, that's why they were kind of a little sick of Lincoln Riley because – the defense didn't get a whole lot better, and when he had Bob Stoops, Bob Stoops guys, they were good, and they made the playoff. And I, I think Riley, this is the challenge of his career now. The most losses he's ever had in a season. The defensive questions have followed him everywhere he's gone. He needs to make some changes. Obviously, things aren't going in the right direction. I think they're 7-6 and six in their last 13 games going back to, to last season. So changes need to be made and I think that's a totally fair question. He's tremendous on offense. The quarterbacks speak for themselves. Look at the plays against Oregon. He dialed up some awesome plays, but when he's asked, you were telling media people how in the offseason you were going to spend more time in the defense. Has that happened this year? And he says, "Yeah, a little bit, but I'm the play caller. I got to spend most of my time on offense." I think when the defense is dead last in the country and explosive plays allowed, it's fair to ask, like, hey, maybe should the head coach do a little bit more defensively? I think it's a totally fair question. Yeah. But if you hire an A1 defensive coordinator, you don't have to worry about it as much. Check in every once in a while if you get a, you know, Jim Leonard type or someone who's, you know, an elite defensive coordinator, you don't really have to worry about it. You put it in their hands, practice how you want to practice, build your defense, I'll check in every once in a while. You know, that. That takes a lot off his plate, but he needs to hit a home run on that hire to to get those both sides of the both sides of the ball on on equal footing. Yeah, that yeah. just puts so much pressure on that that hire. But I, I agree, Chris. I, I, Ryan, when we talked on Wednesday, I, I did mention how like I wonder if Riley is going to fundamentally change a little bit, not no longer call the offense, but 
maybe be involved a little bit more defensively yeah. and, and make it sort of a team effort instead of him. He's the CEO of the offense. This new coordinator is the CEO of the defense because when Alex Grinch was the CEO of the defense, the results have sort of spoken for themselves and clearly haven't been good enough. Yeah, you got to be the head coach. Of, you're the head coach. And uh, it's great that you're the play caller. And he does it exceptionally well. But when you do have a deficiency on one side of the ball, you can't sort of it felt like he painted over it a lot. You know, there was like a little patching, a little we're going to paint. We're going to put a rug over this area. We're not going to so have to see it. Like there was a lot of that going on instead of like, hey, this needs to change. Like if you're the head coach and you're like, why are the guys confused in week 10? Do something different. Uh, Alex Grinch, like do, make him say, well, you got to simplify it. Like, I don't care what the play call is. Make it so they can run the play, whatever it is, and not be confused in 10 weeks into the season. I think that's more of a CEO job. And I think, you know, Lincoln Riley's going to have to do more of that too. Um, we got kind of a joke uh, super chat uh, from Cade. Uh, Does Riley draw a name from the crowd to choose uh, what play they will run on two-point conversions? Um the biggest win of the year was against Arizona, and that was a, a trick play on a two-point conversion. So They sold their soul for two-point conversions to win that game on that two-point conversion, and then the rest, they're cursed to never get one again. Yeah, but they benefited from poor two-point conversions in that game because Oregon went for them early, which, you know, didn't really agree with those. But I, you know, the way they were scoring, I didn't mind if he was going to do that kind of stuff. I felt like USC needed to just onside kick because they weren't going to be able to stop Oregon, which... Uh, they weren't, but um, all right. What else did you guys want to talk about with this game? There was, uh, we got the environment. It was pretty crazy. The way it sort of came down. I mean, it was different afterwards, just knowing that this was the first, and Caleb Williams was asked about this. This is the first time he isn't, is going to be playing a college football game or even, you know, before and not have a championship on the line. You know, they're out. They're out of it. And uh, they had slim hope coming into this one. They would have to beat Oregon on the road. But that it it kind of changed, the, I guess, the feeling a little bit. Um, so I don't know if it felt different for you guys after the game. Yeah, I thought Riley was, like, resigned to his fate a little bit, kind of accepting that this hasn't been good enough. And the biggest takeaway I had, Taj Washington, a receiver, comes out and says, we need to do a better job limiting explosive plays. And it's so rare this year to have one side of the ball talk about the other side of the ball. But when what happened to start that game happens, I don't blame Taj Washington. He's having a great year, and it's so overshadowed by this horrific defense. So that was my biggest takeaway, that now that their goals are out of the picture, people can be more honest, which is refreshing. And Washington talking about how the explosive plays uh, have been the big problem, and he's a receiver. I thought that spoke volumes. Yeah, I wrote about this in my Ghost Nuts game day and how I kind of ended it. I try to end on sort of the theme of, like, what's the overall message at the end of the game, and that was kind of it. It's like acceptance of what this season is. It's not a college football playoff team. It's not a team intending to get back to the Pac-12 title. It's a 7-4 and four team, and now what's left? Go play and beat UCLA for, you know, your big rights to LA. You know, that's what this season is boiled down to. Get a bowl game, you know, feel good about going to the next season, whatever that may be, you know, LA Bowl, Holiday Bowl, whatever. But you know what you are now. You're a team trying to beat UCLA and end that on a high note. You know, like I said, you're not a playoff team. You're not a conference championship team as much as, you know, everyone. We, we talked about it. that's what That's what we thought this team was going to be. There's no qualms about that. You, you're you're out of the you're out of the conference championship race. You you know what you are. So it, it kind of felt like Oregon 
put this team out of its misery. It's like they're not still alive. They don't have to keep thinking about that. You can, they know what they are. Yeah. Uh, real quick, you guys mentioned um, or we all mentioned uh, Taj Washington a couple of times. I'll put the photo up there. But man, he's been an absolute stud uh, for USC. Uh, he had four catches, 82 yards. Um, but just anytime it seems like Caleb Williams needs a play, he's the guy that comes up with the big one. You know, big long conversions, whatever it is. Like it, it seems like key plays. He's the guy that's going to make them. He needs 85 yards to get over 1,000 yards, and that was one of my bold predictions, 10 bold predictions for the season. Taj Washington hits 1,000 yards. I was oh, nice. I was in on Taj from the beginning, so I feel pretty good about that. And yeah, he's been amazing. You know, this was his first game. He didn't top 100 yards. Uh, he had three straight going into this game, and, you know, we flirted with it. But I joked, you know, Taj Washington should play defense too because they'd probably be a lot better if you played uh, Taj over there. So, yeah, he's just been a stud and a playmaker and a really underrated Trojan. Uh, 100%. Not a lot of people were picking him to, you know, be the number one guy, uh, you know, with Brendan Rice and Dorian Singer and even Mario Williams. But yeah, Taj has been the model of consistency. And, you know, he's going to play on Sundays. I think he's he's shown that. And I can't wait to see what's next for him. And yeah, always uh, Chef Taj, you know, uh, a, a great Trojan. And, you know, I hope USC fans will remember him fondly and, you know, give him some love in his final, you know, games coming up here. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned underrated Trojan, great Trojan. He committed and played for Clay Helton for a year. And when Lincoln Riley came in, they gave him a bunch of things that they wanted him to improve on. Didn't think he was quite where they wanted him to be. And and what does he do now? He's the yardage-wise leading receiver in, in his second year with Lincoln Riley. And that's just the kind of guy he is, taking notes oh, yeah. in the meetings, not just on what he's expected to do, but what the other receivers in the room are expected to do on certain plays. So he understands the whole concept. He is a great teammate by all accounts and yeah what everything chris said i i totally agree it's too bad that in a season where there's been so much negativity he's one of the guys who deserves the positive spotlight because he has been really special this year and i don't know what round he'll be drafted i could see him as like a fifth or sixth round later guy but i think he certainly has the chance to stick in the nfl because of his work ethic and because of how talented he is and yeah. he's a special teams guy too yeah he plays on both uh, I think both coverages. You definitely the punt team. So yeah, I mean that's how you, <laughs> you stick around in the NFLs. You know, play everything. So play play special teams. So he's just a, he's a he's just a really good football player. And you know USC needs more guys like that for sure. We got some super chats. We got uh, three callers in the queue. So we're gonna try to get to all of your questions. Um, James says, uh, "Is this season a failure? And if they lose to UCLA, is Riley somewhat put on notice?" Hashtag cilantro boys nation. Oh, failure. Yeah, I would say yes. It's a failure based on what the you season thought. is a failure based <laughs> on. Uh, I'm not going to mince any words like it's it, they're seven. They've lost four of their last five games. They're number five to begin the year. They're not ranked. Yeah. Big failure. Failure. Um, losing to UCLA could be tough because someone in the chat pointed out they don't have a quarterback or an offense. Yeah, like they're they look awful. Like they could have been shut out by Arizona State. Um, but you, you can't lose that game. Beat the Bruins. It's not going to unfailure the season, but it's it's no. definitely something you could like hang your hat on. It's like okay, we beat UCLA. We got that. You know, let's get this bowl win. Let's move on to the Big Ten next season. L let's just end on a good a good note. Let's yeah. get into the off season with a pair of wins. We can do that. So yeah, it's not going to unfail this year. But it's definitely something that's very important and very vital for USC to get done this yeah. Saturday is beat UCLA. And it's not going to cure everything, but it'll cure some things. 
Uh, Sager doesn't like our answer to that. I'm like, he pay, he paid five bucks for that answer. I'm like, we well, asked if it was a failure. I don't know. I wouldn't tell you that, that it was. Um, we're just gonna answer your questions, well, Alex. Well, the second part of that is he put on notice if he loses. Oh, okay. Are you are you saying on the hot seat? Are you saying he's gonna get fired? I'm not. Like I, I think people are jumping, you know, way ahead of the like Jimbo Fisher world. Like if you're trying to do stuff like that, so you hired him for a reason. Uh, it's not quite two years in, so losing the UCLA, I'm not. You're not. I don't think you're putting him on notice. But yeah. I know they're frustrated, but you just have to remember what sort of program he was left with. Yes. Go look at the Clay Helton recruiting classes the final three years that he was here there was the cupboard was bare man i mean you have to overhaul a lot of things getting their nil program up to standard with some of these other blue blood programs and big college football programs would help a lot but they still have to bring in a lot more talent and a lot more depth like we mentioned with the oregon you know just comparing there's so much deeper usc's not on that level and Lincoln Riley, you know, at Oklahoma, as we mentioned with Stoops, he was just maintaining. Here he has to actually build. It's only year two of the rebuild. He needs a lot of work still to do with the roster in terms of getting it where it needs to be yeah. to compete with some of the bigger, you know, like Michigan and Ohio State yeah. and all those teams in the SEC. They need more talent. They need more depth. So, again, just go look at those classes and see what he was left with. And, you know, I know the transfer portal helps. But it's only a Band-Aid. You have to go in and stitch that up and make it heal and make it a scar. You know, you just can't put Band-Aids on everything. So yeah. they need to find that balance again. If they do lose to UCLA, on notice is probably too strong. But that would be the first time USC would have lost to a ranked team under Lincoln Riley. So that would kind of show, okay, this really isn't going in the right direction. Then you brought up NIL. We saw some collective uh, USC people on Twitter going back mm -hmm. and forth today. Seems like this loss to Oregon and just how the season has gone. There's been some confusion um, just in the NIL space about the direction going forward between some of the USC collectives. So I, I think that's paramount this offseason. People can talk about how things are going in the right direction and I, until there's more evidence with recruiting. And, you know, I, I think that kind of the proof's in the pudding with that. And I, I don't think it was a great look today that there was some stuff on Twitter like, oh, it's not as good as it should be. And, oh, yes, it is. It's going in the right direction. They got to get on the same page and get that figured out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's try to go. So Alex had a super chat I've had up on the screen for a while. Hey, guys, Andy Avalos was fired from Boise State uh, today. What do you all think of him being a candidate for the D.C. job? Wasn't he their defense terrible, Boise State? <laughs> yeah. I, n I never. But he wasn't D.C. before. I never want to base, you know, a, a D.C. turn head coach's defense. I never want to base your your. uh your thoughts on them overall because when they can just focus on being the defensive coordinator yeah they like really it, good. it's it could be really good and you're you're a first i is he a, i assume he's a first year head coach you know you got all these things to handle you know program offense picking you know overseeing a bunch of different things and it can kind of you know get away from you so i never want to just automatically disqualify somebody because their defense sucked as a defensive coach yeah as a head coach you know Look at Manny Diaz. You know his defenses. You know were not great at Miami, and they struggled obviously for a long time. And then he's got a great defense now at Penn State. So when you can focus on the thing you're really good at, usually you can have pretty good results. Uh, I have to do more research on him. You know maybe he's a he's a name I'm going to add to the hot board. So I can't really speak uh, a lot on you know what he would. 
probably bring because I need to do more research on him. But yeah, that's a that's a DC on the market now that you know USC can kick the tires on for sure. A uh, couple more super chats. Thanks, thanks everyone for these. Michael, uh, line coaching and line recruiting. Your assessment is it Helton esque? No. No, they look at the offensive line class they brought in. It's really good. Like that just takes some time to build, you know? Yeah. Henson's a good coach. Yeah. And he's a good recruiter. I know you want a little more, you know, high end, you know, blue chip kind of guys. Uh, but they're getting bodies. You, you go back to Helton the years, they couldn't get anyone to sign up to play all line for them. Yeah. So I'm telling you, go back. He's He has signed at least five last year. I think he's at four right now so you're seeing they this is a priority they have nine high school guys they've signed they need more bodies and they're getting bodies and again with offensive line like i said you do want to bring in some four star get a five star every now and then recruit those guys but get these guys in that you like you know look at elijah page he wasn't a consensus four star i don't think oh he was a consensus four star but like tobias raymond is a better example six foot seven you know he's gained weight to you know he's 250 he's 280 right now you know, I know people are really excited about him. Just get these guys in the program, put them in your weight room, develop them, and you can get guys that you can churn out and, you know, potentially be all-conference guys or guys that can blossom into, you know, maybe some uh, high-end All-Americans or, or or NFL draft picks. You just got to develop them, and that's the key with offensive line. It's all projections. It's all projections. Uh, more than any position, it's offensive line is about projections and I trust Josh Henson and his projections, and they brought in some good guys the last or last cycle, and then this one coming up that they're excited about. Yeah, they've done well defensively with edge rushers, but on the interior of the defensive line, I'd like to see bigger bodies come in. Some of the guys who just they've picked up the last couple of years. I mean, you see, if we're watching the Michigan Penn State game, and that freaking three hundred eighty pound <laughs> Michigan defensive lineman is chasing Drew Aller down the field. It's like USC doesn't have anyone except for Bear Alexander's in the same area code as that guy. I'd like to see him recruit a little bit better on the interior of the defensive line, and I don't think I'm alone in that. No. One more super chat. By the way, if you're watching us live on YouTube or any of the platforms, please like uh, the stream. You can like it on uh, Twitter, I believe, and on our Facebook page. Please like it, and then of course on YouTube, it's free. And the super chats, people are actually like. Donate people are money. paying up. I don't know what's going well, on. All the people who save money not going to the Oregon yeah. game are just like dishing it out now. Michael says, uh, shouldn't Chip Kelly be on the hot seat? Oh, I, yeah. I kind of think he is. Yeah. I and think. then maybe, you know, a certain DC will be on the uh, the available. Yeah, potentially. So, um, you know wait, what I'm talking someone about. In, someone in the chat was asking for uh, someone to get fired. Um, where was it? Oh, Dave Aranda. Yeah, hopefully Dave Aranda gets fired this week. So they want another candidate out there. So is he's he, another one that's like... Is he going to get fired? I don't know. They might. They stink. They're pretty stinky. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a lot of calls. So let's uh, let's try to go to one of these. Um, please, everyone in the queue, we're going to go to your calls. Please try to keep them uh, brief. You know, give us a question and get off. Tell us where, who you are, where you're from. I believe this is David to start us off. Hey, David. Uh, welcome to Tunnel Vision. Going on, guys. David Chad, San Diego, Viterbi Electrical Engineering. How are we doing tonight, boys? Doing good. good. How are you? I'm Viterbi as well. <laughs> All right. Fight on. Engineered with me. Yes. <laughs> what do you got? All right. So, disaster season. As you know, we were preseason five or six. Just two comments for you guys' discussion. 
The first one is the multiple coaches I strongly disagree with, with the defensive coordinators or the special teams saying that the sum of the experience is a good thing. Well, like John Madden said, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So at work, at school, when there's a group project, nothing gets done. You need one person that the buck stops with. So I think one coach, it's a cop-out in decision-making skills if you do multiple. That's the first item. The second rapid-fire one is Pete Carroll. So he spoiled us, obviously, 20 years ago. But I just want to see what you guys think are some of the things that Pete Carroll did that we could emulate today. I know he played catch with the guys, had open practice. I mean, it's the best reference and resource you could have is just look at what he did 15 years ago and emulate it and maybe even pick up the phone and call the guy and say, hey, what should we do? Serious on those two things? Fight on Rosenbergs. All right. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Um, as far as yeah, the two... I, I don't have an issue because it's like interim defensive coordinators for two weeks, basically, right? There's a lot to do. Spread it out. You know, just don't put it all on one person. I think that's kind of the thinking. It's like there's a lot to get through. It's, it's better if you have two pairs of hands than, you know, just one guy doing it all. So I'm not – I see what you're saying, like the two-quarterback thing. But, yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with, with them doling out more responsibilities yeah. among two guys. Yeah, for the defensive coordinator, it makes sense right now. But for the special team stuff, I don't know how you can see how this season's played out and not say, hey, maybe you might want to change your philosophy, Lincoln Riley, with special teams coaching. I don't think he's ever going to do it. He's been so adamant about his strategy. And I think Matrix Analytics, that company who – grades all the coaches they have Lincoln Riley with a really high special teams grade so if you like the analytics you can you can look there even though I think pro football focus it's a little different whatever that's just two uh you know number thing two pieces of data uh but I, I don't know the special teams play I don't think it's been very good as for the Pete Carroll thing uh can he help him recruit that's that's what he did so well of course he recruited the best guys and made, that made a huge difference and he was a great coach obviously. yeah of course of course but that was 15 years ago or more college football's changed a lot USC kept trying to repeat the Harold, the, the not the Harold, the uh, Carroll eras again. Get, oh, let's get you know Kiffin. Let's get Sark. Like that doesn't really work. Um, I get it. I mean, get it. Consult to him about hey, what to do. Here's why I opened practices, and here's why it meant a lot. Uh, maybe then you do something like that. But as far as like, I mean, he's in his seventies. You know, I think uh, I think you got to move on from the Pete Carroll stuff. They're never going to have open practices in terms of coming. Uh, Gerard talks a lot about this on Composite, about those Pete Carroll eras. Obviously, Ryan, you covered it. But one thing he really hits on is when they, the at practice, they would go nine on nine. And it would be just like all out war, just yeah. hitting, hitting, hitting. That's all you're doing. You're just running into each other and making them tougher. And that's why those teams were so tough. So that's obviously we don't know what we they can't, do. We can't, we can't see, watch, so I don't know. But that's obviously something like Gerard loves to bring up. Is like nine on nine. That's the that's the thing you wanted to watch in practice is see who's gonna be a dog, who's gonna rise to the occasion when they were just like beating the crap out of each other all week in practice. And that's why they would say practice was harder than it was on Saturdays. Make practice the toughest thing so Saturdays are easy. So doing stuff like that. I think it also comes down to what they do in practice and setting that culture in practice. But again, I can't see practice. We can't see practice. We can only see and listen to interviews about practice. So, you know, that that would obviously be a big change or, or 
you know, maybe that's what they're doing and they're not doing. But I know that's something Gerard hits on a lot is that nine on nine that yeah, Pete Carroll would do. And yeah. one last thing for me, I know we got to get to this other caller. We heard defensive players earlier in the season when things were going better, them say that, yeah, the practices are way harder than the games. And as the season's bared out, like that just obviously has not been true. And I wonder if they were doing that nine on nine stuff, like would they be a little tougher? Because I think that's been a problem with this team, especially defensively. They haven't been tough enough. Yeah. I, I try, oh, man, I try to put uh, Levi's uh, comment from Facebook up. It is huge. So I don't know if you guys can read that. Sorry about that. But let's go to our next. Um, <laughs> I was just really, I, didn't, I couldn't see in my screen how big it was. I'm like, okay, that took, took up half our screen. Um, thanks, Levi, for leaving a comment there. Let's go to our next uh, caller. I think this is Alan in St. Louis. Want to talk about St. Louis? Some NIL. Is this Alan? Hey, hey, guys. Yes, Alan St. Louis. Um, quick question. I saw the scuttlebutt on Twitter on mm. Alex Holmes and some other folks from House of Victory about NIL. I don't, it's like Schrodinger's NIL to me right now. It doesn't exist. Does it not exist? I can't really tell. And I feel like I follow the program closely. Can you help us out here, us normies, and explain what's going on with the NIL program? Thanks a lot. Thanks, Alan. Um, Do you want to rehash what, what yeah, that was Connor, since there? you created this controversy, I guess. <laughs> I didn't create anything. Um, I you just, reposted it, so that that's you creating it in our, in our eyes. Okay, so it all started with <clears throat> Rich SC, our friend Rich, who gives great stats. He said, a big thing that needs to happen for 2024, USC has to solve the NIL riddle. And for the caller, he, he already read this, so we can react to it, but I just want to bring everyone in. Alex Holmes, who works with... Um, what's Tommy, Tommy Group? group. Um, he tweets out, pretty simple. None of the mega wealthy alumni are willing to fund it. There's a constant battle for the same dollars between the university, the athletic department, and now NIL. NIL is bottom of the totem pole. Spencer Harris from House of Victory came up and said, maybe that's been true in the past, but not today. And he talked about how a lot of wealthy alums have helped with House of Victory. And then Alex Holmes said, kind of doubled down on it. He said, what I said is true. That's at the bottom of the totem pole. And they sort of went back and forth. And I just think overall... We've heard a lot about Jen Cohen trying to get all the collectives on the same page and get the NIL stuff going in the same direction, and now you have two leaders of collectives on Twitter clearly not aligned. My read on that is that I, I don't think that's very encouraging. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's tough. We've been working really closely with uh, House of Victory, and I wanted to they're, – they're doing an event, actually, and I'll give you guys <laughs> some more uh, info on that a little bit. Um, but I've known Alex – home since you know back in the back in the day of you know when he was at usc and the main recruiter and all that um he was the hosting you know extraordinaire so i know both of these guys really well definitely different viewpoints um you know the alex basically saying that it's hard to get the wealthy donors to sort of buy in and uh and put their money there and there is competition for the money you know do you want to help build the new football facility that's going up or do you want to you know just donate to the athletic department do you want to help the players through nil collectives spencer's definitely been more optimistic um from the house of victory side saying that there's a lot you know there's more money coming in there's bought you know it having seen how a lot of these work and you know the boulevard stuff where it just didn't seem to click there seems to be like a passionate group of alumni. And I know there's some big hitters like Will Smith that is involved. I don't know a lot of the other heavy hitters with House of Victory, but, you know, prominent boosters that are all kind of aligned in this one. And they seem, um, I don't know, it seems like they're, they're, they're positive about the, the future and they downplay more of the, 
you need to pay high school players and that's that's what's killing USC recruiting and all that. So it's yeah, definitely different perspectives. I I mean, we're trying to make sense of all of it too. Uh, but they, you know, two guys that are kind of doing similar things and have a very different viewpoints on what's going on. I would encourage you if you want more of like the scope of what's going on with NIL is to go listen to the last composite two-star recruits. Gerard does a great job of kind of continuing to uh, break down the overall overall where USC is in you know their NIL program because we do talk about one of the latest you know developments with uh, Conquest uh, Collective or or whatever they're, Conquest they're, Collective, yeah. yeah. So that's in the second half of the show, but I would encourage anyone who's wants to uh, normie, as you say, to go. Uh, listen to that. It's in the second half of the show, but he does a good job of, you know, overhauling or overall breaking down what's what's going on. And, you know, USC isn't doing the model that other teams are doing where they're, you know, going after, you know, high school players like that. Because I think they think that change is going to come with the NCAA and then that's going to be, you know, cracked down on. And obviously USC very uh, skittish when it comes to you know, sanctions and stuff like that. And I think there's, they're always going to be on the side of caution of not, you know, going with the loopholes of that other player, other programs are doing with, you know, paying high school kids and getting those kids on campus and paying for them to get on campus and then, you know, locking up those commitments down the line. So yeah, that, Again, I would encourage you to go listen to that segment he talks about in the, our latest composite. Jim says we need a tunnel vision collective group. I love that. <laughs> it, yeah. it is interesting. I mean, the basketball programs are recruiting at a really high level. So yeah. what does that lead you to believe? Are they doing something different? I think that's a question that I'm going to try to get to the bottom of because NIL and this whole new world, basketball is thriving on it and football seems a little bit behind. So I want to let you guys know, um, and uh, Kate gave us a super chat, just a shout out to Gerard lurking in the chat. So he was in there. So uh, House of Victory is rolling out a new campaign for the UCLA game. Their goal is to get 5,000 fans to donate 50 bucks each. So that's kind of the part of the collective aspect of it, right? Where it's like a GoFundMe where you don't need to be, uh, you know, some billionaire real estate developer, you can help out the program too. So they're looking for that. So it's called 50 for victory. So you can go over to house of victory.com slash uh, 50. So if you guys want to go check that out. So they, they sent me that so over today. 250,000 is their goal. Uh, I believe I haven't done the math, uh, but yeah, that, I think could, that could buy a couple of D, D linemen. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Uh, you know what we're going to do is we don't normally do this on tunnel vision, but we, we, we have to put this up in a podcast form too. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back in a second, everybody. Back in a minute. All right, we're back here on uh, Tunnel Vision. We got a couple more calls in the queue. Um, let's see. This one... Uh, I think there's no auto screener in this one, so we'll see who that is. Uh, caller, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Well, who's your name? What's your name, and uh, where are you calling from? Maybe not there. Okay, we'll uh, drop that one. They were on hold there. Okay, uh, let's try. We got one more. We'll try this one. This is JD. Hey, uh, this is Jaden from Wisconsin, and Jayden. I was just looking at the bowl per, the possible bowl predictions for USC, and it's interesting that 
I saw that they might play Oklahoma. And I think that'd be interesting, obviously, for the multiple storylines with Caleb and Lincoln. Um, We saw Bryce Young, obviously, for a New Year's Six Bowl, but the potential uh, number one overall pick playing in a bowl game, even though it obviously with the athletes sitting out for meaningless bowl games, is that something that you think Caleb might possibly play for with Lincoln, or is it not really a thing that he's focusing on and more for the NFL. Hey, Jaden, thank you for the call. I appreciate that. This is so funny because I posed this exact question to our, my two colleagues right here when we were walking out of walking in or out, I think out of, uh, Autzen stadium, uh, would Caleb Williams, uh, play in a bowl game? My gut feeling is he would, that's just not, being sourced or anything it's just if i had to guess if you had to say hey is he gonna play or not put five bucks on it i would put five bucks on him playing what do you guys think my gut would say he's not gonna play i mean just you know potential injury with all that and you know you, you never know and i know he's a competitive guy but i think a guy of his stature and you know the money people would be investing him and the high-end agents he would be involved with and his his circle you know they would be like in his ear like hey this is the best move for you this is the best financial decision this is the best long-term decision is to sit out the bowl game it's not a new year six if it was new year six or anything else i feel like he's playing 100 no doubt in my mind but any you know for the holiday bowl the alma bowl you know i don't i don't think so that's just my gut i agree like i can see both sides of of what you guys were saying, I lean towards agreeing with Chris Moore just because it's a bowl that really doesn't matter a whole lot. But there is precedent with Bryce Young last year. Was that a New Year's Six Bowl that Bryce Young played in? I know it wasn't the college football playoff. It might have been one of the big ones, but he he played in a game that he didn't really need to. So people say, oh, that never happens. There is precedent for a guy not playing in the college football playoff and then who went number one overall. And I could see Caleb doing it because, to your point, Ryan, he's so competitive. But I think there's so many people around him and people in his corner that, like what Chris said, I believe they'll instruct him to make the smarter financial choice and opt to sit out that game. We'll see. The Sugar Um, Bowl? Yeah, so that's a New Year's Six. Yeah. Uh, let's try to knock out. We have, I think we have a couple more calls in queue, but I'm going to try to knock out some of the uh, comments we have. Tamale Tom says, uh, do you think it was a possibility before the season that USC would lose all four big late season matchups with a healthy Caleb Williams? Nope. I am shocked. I would agree. I would also agree. Yeah. All four of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All four? All four. Hey, over four. Should have lost to Cal. Right now, over two against future Big Ten uh, colleagues. So... That's not good either. They got one more chance to beat UCLA. Uh, let's go to 300 um, GJW. When uh, would you expect them to make a DC hire? I think uh, we, before the portal opens. But yeah, I, I you want to have someone in place by December because your portal is going to open. You got to get that going on early recruit or you know signing period. A lot of people are waiting to see Texas A&M. Their class is potentially going to fall apart, so you can kind of jump on there too. So you need to get it before December, I would say. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Beck says, um, what other positions are in question besides the D.C.? They, maybe he's talking about um, position coaches. I mean, anyone on the defensive yeah. side, just because the, your boss is gone, 
Uh, yeah, anyone in the defensive out you have to assume is going to be an opening. Depending on who you get, is going to want to bring their own guys. Maybe, yeah. you know, you keep one guy. You know, Roy Manning has been a really good recruiter. You know, Sean New, I know people like a lot for his coaching. So, yeah, you could – You could, I would just assume everyone on the, the defensive side of the ball is going to be gone. I mean, potentially just because the defense has been so bad. So it's hard right. to justify. Yeah, it's hard to justify. Uh, a dog's life in Portland – um, has Riley ever called an RPO or a run on a two-point conversion? I mean, Caleb Williams ran the ball in himself. I don't think that was a design run, but he's definitely called an RPO, I think. That was improvising. Two-point conversion. Uh, but a straight-up handoff to Marshawn Lloyd? I would I mean, love to I, see that. I feel like that would work more. It's kind of one of those things, though, done. if you do it and it just gets stuffed, yeah, you're like, you look, why don't yeah. you just run the ball at the yeah. middle? Like, Because it probably would work, you know. Um, it's tough, though. The play being so close to the end zone, it kind of limits Caleb's ability to yeah. really extend play. I mean, we saw – I don't know what exactly – like how to describe what he did, like rolling out and the second four he went out of bounds, throwing it up. Like, it would have been incredible. It's, it's so that. much easier to contain him in a two-point situation than it is on like the 40. Yeah. Okay, this is Trojan Drip. Tell Arizona that. Yeah. Uh, Trojan Drip says, love the show. Well, thank you. How can we beat uh, – Beat recruit in the trenches, but recruit better in the trenches. Recruit better in the trenches. We have the lightest offensive line in the Pac-12. Uh, Caleb Williams is always scrambling, and the defensive line is porous. Yeah, it's more so defensive line. They gotta ramp up that nil. I mean, they're kind of scraping at the bottom of the barrel to find defensive line prospects for this class. So you you're gonna have to hit the portal again. You know get another bear in there as well. You know, there's some defensive guys they recruited for this year that haven't been hit, that haven't hit. You know, Keon Bars has been a disappointment. Jack Sullivan hasn't played as much as we thought he was going to play. So you're going to have to go back into the portal to get some bodies because right now your 2024 D-line recruiting is is up in the air. It's struggling. You don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, that could change with the new DC, see what happens, but it would help, again, to get that NIL kind of Going a little bit just to bring in a little more juice to that high school recruiting. But I think they're doing fine on offensive line. Yeah. Just got offensive line commitment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, big, big T37. Uh, has the offense gotten stale or is it simply our offensive line has gotten worse? I think the poor play of the offensive line has been the biggest problem for sure. And yeah, a little stale on offense. That happens in year two with Caleb and Lincoln Riley here at USC. Year three of them together overall. So, I mean, just look at what they did against Oregon. Nothing was stale to me in that game. You got Zachariah Branch running some crazy stuff. How, how innovative and, and cool was, was that game plan? And a lot of those plays from Lincoln Riley, I, I thought that was great. So I think against Oregon, all the trouble you had was from the pressure more so than a lack of creativity on offense and things getting stale. Yeah. Uh, Andrew says, USC uh, wants a top-tier defensive coordinator, but will Riley – Give up control of the defensive side of the ball and let them do their job. Current could turn into a Ryan Ditka situation. What's Ryan? Who's Ryan Ditka? I'm not sure who Ryan Ditka is. I'm gonna Google it. Do Google that. Um, I don't. I don't think Lincoln Riley is in control of the defense and is telling Alex Grinch what to do. I think we would like him to probably do that more. What I think he's in control of is how practices run. So if a defensive coordinator is like. I want to run 
uh, a 15 minute goal line period every Tuesday uh, and Wednesday. And, and Riley's like, no, we're running seven on seven instead. Then you're sort of like not allowing your defensive coordinator to kind of do what he feels needs to build toughness or whatever it is. So I feel like it's not about controlling the defense, but it's allowing whoever the defensive coordinator is to kind of run their portions of practice to, you know, that, that would be my biggest concern, you know, but we don't watch it. We don't know. It's not Ryan Ditka isn't a person. It's two different people, buddy Ryan and Mike Ditka for the bears. Uh, It appears that Mike Ditka was the head coach and buddy Ryan was the DC and they butted heads on how to run the team. Yeah. Or specifically the defense. So I didn't hear the first part of the question. Yeah. G Mart says power struggle. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Buddy Ryan versus uh, Mike Ditka. How about some nine on nine? Whoever the new defensive coordinator is, let's let's get that. That got me fired up. Yeah. Gerard. Team Run Gerard, stuff. Talk about nine on nine. <laughs> talk about nine on nine, Gerard. Call in. Um, <laughs> no, no. It'll take an hour. Don't yeah, call in. Don't call in. Yeah. We're, okay. we're all exhausted. So uh, this is from uh, DJ GQ. Do you think uh, SC is at risk losing some of our star players to the transfer portal following this season's letdown? That's always a risk. Yeah. I, I mean, good teams lose players to the portal. Bad teams lose players. Every, <laughs> everybody's going to lose players to the portal. But you might lose more. Like Last year, they didn't lose a lot of guys that you were like, oh, man. Like, I love Kyle Ford, but was that going to like really hurt your team? Like, probably not, you know. Um, maybe Gary Bryant a little. But they didn't have big names losses. They added a lot more impact players than they lost. It, you know, it'll be harder. USC hadn't, didn't have to withstand, like, loss, losing major impact players. But that could happen when you have a disappointing season. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I don't think Bear Alexander leaves. I don't think Anthony Lucas leaves. But everyone else on defense who has years left maybe i'm forgetting a guy here or there i i wouldn't rule anyone else out i i think it's all fair game based on the coaches leaving and just how this year's gone yeah yeah it's all fair game uh uma wants to know this is seems a more serious question um when do you think the college football when, when do you think college football and athletes will be under a cba to sign multi-year contracts to play in college that's too, that's too big picture for my little brain. It's very big picture down the road. You know? I, I think it's coming. I don't know how soon, if it's like five years, 10 years, 20 years, but like when and another round of TV deals are up. So maybe what would that be like 2030? People eventually are going to be like, hey, the scholarships are great where we get taken care of really nicely, but these schools are getting billions of dollars and the players – don't get a cut of that in the, the best way that they should. Of course, they get a cut of it a little bit, but not in the way that they probably should, which is directly into their bank accounts. I do think that's coming down the line, and it's going to open up a whole can of worms. And I just hope college football doesn't stink afterwards, because even though I, I do think the players deserve to get paid, I, I like college football right now. I like the transfer portal. I like yeah. how it's more even and, and bad teams can, can rebuild quicker. So I don't know what the fix is, and, and I would not want to be the person in charge of making that fix. But I do fear that when this comes, because I think it's going to come, college football could be ruined forever, and I really hope that doesn't happen. Uh, we got one more, and then we'll do a couple calls and get out of here. Alan in St. Louis, do you folks think we were missing guys on defense for the Oregon game because Odom and Nua tried to make practices more physical this week? Just a thought. No. No. 
No, I think the guys who were banged up happened the game before. Yeah, guys were just banged up a little bit. Did you guys? We didn't really talk about the differences. Did it look simpler to you? Did we see I as much confusion? I personally can't talk to that without having watched the game. Yeah, back. we got to rewatch. We I slept over rewatching the game, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just think personnel. I, I mean, Bryson Schaub was obviously close to Alex Grinch. I think, according to Pro Football Focus, he got one snap, and they leaned on Christian Pierce a little more. Rajon Davis played a lot more, and I know that at times there was some, you know, talk in the staff. Hey, Rajon should play more, and I think Grinch felt like no, and other guys played ahead of him. So I think those are the two big guys who either their case got helped or it didn't get us help with the change. Eric Gentry, of course, didn't play. So if he was there, would Rajon have gotten as many snaps as he did? He was up in the 40s. I, I don't know about that. But I don't even know if Grinch was around. I, I think Rajon's not playing at all. It probably would have gone to Shane Lee, Cobb, and, and Tackett Curtis. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got a couple calls, and we'll end the show. First up, it looks like this is George. George, you're on Tunnel Vision. How you doing? Hey, fellas. How you guys doing? Hey, I, I played college football and coached for – over 20, 25 years from junior program up to high school in de defensive coordinator. You had a question, and and just if you look at it, you go, you watch the defense this week, and you go, you know what? Yeah, they weren't great, but there was improvement, and you could kind of see it. You could just see they played better. There wasn't as um, as many long runs, you know, a lot of outside. And one, I'll just give you one because you're like, well, What's some things different? And sorry, I've been walking upstairs. I'm like, <laughs> hard to bring that as a shape as I used to be. But, um, but one of the things is, is just take the outside containment. And one thing that I would notice that uh, Grinch would run constantly was uh, what you would call, you would have your outside contained guy. And he would be, uh, what he would do is he would use them as what they would call a wrong arm. So if you're an outside containment, you got, you're looking at your line. So if the line to the left, like the offensive tackle would be to the left of you as you're coming up. He would take not his inside hey, we got, arm. We got to wrap this one up. Get, okay. What's that? Yeah, we got to wrap it up. We're, we're, I, cool. But thank you very much. Okay. Appreciate but the he, call. He, yeah, he, he would do an outside shoulder and, and take the outside and he would give up his outside shoulder and they would want the inside shoulder guys, but stuff like that. So you wouldn't see the big outside runs. Okay. So that's just one. It's All just right. uh, obvious, obvious. And we didn't do it this week. And so that was a lot better improvement just in that for the big runs. All so, right. Well, thanks, George. Anyway. I appreciate that. Um, thanks for the call. Yeah, it's going a little too long there. It's hard to describe what he's talking about. But I would say you still give up two 70 plus yard passes for touchdowns. So. It's hard to say that that's an improvement there. They weren't runs, but they were passes that were, you know. Um, but, you know, if you go back and look at the tape, you could, you know, agree with George and say maybe there's stuff that they were doing better. Unfortunately, the results were still really bad where you only had one real stop, one, one three and out, and a lot of long drives. Four and a half yards per carry. It was definitely better. The run defense, I mean, couldn't have gotten any worse after that debacle against Washington. Four and a half yards for us, though, still not great. And no sacks. They're, they're getting no pressure on the quarterback. And Solomon Bird was asked about it after the game, and he goes, uh, the, the guys are getting the opposing teams are getting the ball out faster. And Oregon does a nice job of that, but it, that's not the big issue. The big issue is that you're playing better teams, and it, 
the offensive lines have been better and the production's dried up. Yeah. All right, we got one. I think this is Bobby. Bobby. Bobby, you're on television. How you doing? I'm fine, Ryan. How are you today? Good, thank you. Ryan, very simply, Lincoln Rallies has 25 game sample size. He's getting eight to ten million dollars a year. How long of a sample size do you need to see that he's not the answer? You look around at Dan Lanning after the Georgia game, what he's done with the Oregon program. You look at the Washington program, and here's the kicker of them all. Can you believe at the start of the season that you would tell me that Arizona would be in the top twenty and USC would be out of the top twenty? And this seven and four record is inflated. It really should be five and six. Uh, Lincoln Riley is a fraud, and he needs to be disposed of like Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Um, Can I get it? Go ahead. Yeah, it's all you. Washington, look at the recruiting classes. Kalen DeBoer had a great talent base already in the program. Same thing with Dan Lanning. He had a bunch of talent left over from Mario Cristobal. Lincoln Riley did not with Clay Helton. What was the other point? Arizona. Jed Fish, also a bad <laughs> comparison because he's literally been building that program from scratch the last three years and look at the results five years five years i don't know how long he's been been there wait one one game now they're in the top 25 that's what building a program looks like lincoln riley can go a little bit faster than jetfish but still has to do the same thing still has to build the program yeah, I don't agree with that caller at all. Do you think they're going to be in the top 20 next year? It's way too early to answer that question. But you know what I mean? In year three of Riley, you could make the case it looks like Chad Fish might have Arizona in a better spot than Riley will have uh, USC in year three. That's unfair to say right now with the transfer portal and everything working uh, the way it's going to down the line. Love the fire and the passion of the call, though. I appreciate a good take. We had a take at the uh, meetup. A guy preferred Matt Leinart to Caleb Williams. He thought he was a better quarterback, and most people disagreed. But we can all agree that a good take is fun and provocative, and it gets the people going. So, Bobby, I appreciate the call. And I know a lot of fans feel that way. They're really frustrated with Lincoln yeah. Riley because he keeps talking about how we're so close, we're so close, and now it's blink of an eye, 7-4. and four. Overall, though, Chris, cooler heads prevail. He, he's right. You got to give a guy with an 83% winning percentage all time some time here to to figure it out. And I think one bad season you can deal with. You hope that goes away. But it's not like it's just too early to, to be as mad as Bobby was. But I, I love the passion. I love the fire. Yeah. And I don't care about the contract. He's being paid what the going rate is for someone with his resume. If you have, you're going to go try to hire a guy that's won three Heismans and has an 83 percent winning percentage like you don't get him for three million a year he's 10 million a, you're you're paying for what he's done and bobby you might be right maybe he's not the guy but i'm not making that call two years in i feel like this can he can be the guy i definitely feel he can be the guy that brings usc back he did a whole bunch of stuff in year one that was great unfortunately if year one and year two were switched like shotgun says you wouldn't feel this way probably but the expectations got raised after year one um, all right, we had a super chat from Hugo. Thanks for what you all do from the POC to the vision. Hashtag support the players, beat the Bruins uh, for the stock neutral nation. So there's a Keeley fan. Nice, Hugo. Thank you uh, for that. And I think we have one more call. Don't know who this one is. Uh, you're a last caller on Tunnel Vision. How you doing? Hi, Ryan. Doing well. Just real quick, um, you mentioned about this Dr. K? Being, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, part of um, part of a championship team and things like that. And I just go back real quick to 
when her son attended USC. And back in 2013 was the Royal Purple Ball that we attended. So it's USC versus Fresno State. Now, who were the two quarterbacks? Cody Kessler for USC, Derek Carr for Fresno State. So USC blows out, Cody blows out Derek Carr. Um, I don't know, it's 45 or 20 or something like that. But um, Carr was a second-round pick in the NFL the following year. In 2017, he signed a $125 million contract extension. Um, you know, it just depends on what expectations are. But maybe you might want to comment a little bit about some of these, especially with USC players who maybe came in as a three-star and maybe not tonight because, you know, you're running out of time now, uh, and then got good draft picks. Um, but, you know, things can happen all different ways. But it's unfortunate uh, not to see that, but things do happen for the better, obviously, for many who get into the pros. Uh, thanks, Dr. K. I appreciate that. Yeah, I covered those Fresno teams. They had Devontae Adams, too, who we were just watching on uh, Sunday Night Football. But, you know, Derek Carr is from the Central Valley. His brother played at Fresno State. It was kind of a legacy thing. He would have been a top recruit, you know. Uh, Cody Kessler was a high – he was from the Central Valley, too, Bakersfield. Um, you know, high four-star guy. But you got guys like Uchenna and Wosu, who's still in the NFL, was a three-star uh, over at Narbonne, just down the street from here. I think that speaks to the development. The USC's lacked the development. They've been good at getting – Juju Smith-Schuster was great when he got to USC, probably about the same when he left USC, and he got better, I think, when he went to the NFL. Um, we haven't seen that development. You've seen guys come in and they were great and kind of stayed that way, but you want to see more of the – guys that come in that were sort of like not as heralded and then just developed and, and had great careers. But I don't know. What do you guys think of Dr. K's call? Yeah. I mean, development has been the big, the big, uh, one of the big issues under Clay Helton is they weren't, they were taking in some guys early on and they weren't developing them. They weren't getting them to the pros. They weren't giving them, making them high first round draft picks. Like Pete Carroll was churning them out. So the kids who grew up watching USC and those Clay Heltoners, they don't know like that legacy of putting guys in the NFL. That kids, number one overall, Gerard says this all the time. It's like point blank for most kids, it's all about I want to go to the NFL. That's the dream they all have. You know, NIL education, you know, all that is good, but point blank, it's all about getting to the next level. And if you have coaches that are putting guys in the NFL, that's going to be one of the biggest things you can do have and in a recruiting battle like look i put this 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 guy in the nfl i made all these guys first round picks i made all these guys day two picks that is a, an incredible thing to sit down with a family you know when you're in the in-home visit and stuff usc wasn't doing that and now lincoln riley has to bring that back to usc and put guys in the draft and get guys drafted so that's the big challenge another big challenge that riley is having to face is getting the development from college taking these guys in as high school prospects, turning them into NFL prospects and guys who are getting drafted. Not necessarily first round, but just putting them in the draft. Look at Amon Ross St. Brown. No one trusted USC players. <laughs> He's a fourth round pick. He's like the best receiver in football now all of a sudden. <laughs> so I think that just makes that point perfectly. Riley, we know he can develop quarterbacks. I think Dr. K, he hit on three stars making it to the NFL. And you can find that, but consistently, if you go back through all the top 247 classes year after year after year, like, and just look at the five-star guys, of course, there are some that don't hit. 
But most of those guys make the NFL, whether it's a practice squad or whether they're first-team All-Pros. If you're a five-star guy, that gives you the best chance to, to get it, obviously. That's not rocket science. And so development is huge, and, and doing less with more is great. Utah does an exceptional job of doing stuff like that. And I think Lincoln Riley has shown that he can develop players in a similar way, especially on offense. But it's all like getting guys to the NFL. What's the easiest way to do that? Recruit the best high school talent. Yeah, they're going to go in. And I think the defensive players, there's a stronger correlation. Like if you're a five-star defensive oh, yeah. lineman, like they're you're taking probably – a chance on you. Yeah, but offensive linemen, you just – you're just your body's changing from 16, 17 to 21 a lot. So you could be the, you know, just mauling guys when you're 17 years old and just you were tapped out then. And there's other guys that are just like, they become beastly by the time, you know, two years in college. Like they, you don't even know who they were. And they're like, there's a, like, there's a lot of those guys. So just kind of, it depends on the position and stuff as well. But stars do matter. So if you think, oh, stars don't matter, this guy wasn't a, he wasn't a, a good recruit, and he's good in the NFL. Yes, that there's there's called exceptions, and there's rules. We wrote stories on this. You can see it. Stars matter. If you want to be better, Georgia's not doing it with a whole bunch of guys that you don't know. They're doing it with a bunch of dudes that are freaking awesome when they get there, and they're even better when they leave. So they're super highly ranked. They get developed. And they get drafted like hell, you know, just everywhere. So <laughs> that's that's the model. I mean, it's yeah. tough to to compete with Georgia, but that's the model. Yeah, they're not doing it with a bunch of three stars. They're doing it with five stars all over the place, and they make them better. That's what you would like. But you can like go to the playoff by just recruiting really well and maybe not developing as well. Um, so yeah, all right. Well, we had we had a bunch of hashtag two hour crew. Um, do you guys want to do two hours? We're at an hour and 20 minutes now. No, we do not. So you go to hell, Ryan. I'm not yeah, doing two hours. Yeah. Um, hold on. I'm a little disappointed. There's no treat. Yeah. Chris is disappointed. There's no treat. The treat is we're not going to keep going because we are all like on fumes, but I thought it was a really good show. Uh, we had hundreds of people watching. We got a bunch of super chats. Um, you know, people sharing on social media and stuff. We really appreciate, uh, you tuning in. Uh, to our little show. They're a lot of fun to do. Sorry we didn't get to do a Thursday one. There was travel and all kinds of fun stuff. I hope you guys are liking the House of Victory um, interviews as well that we've been doing. Uh, getting you know exclusive interviews, one-on-one -on -one interviews with these players. Um, it's been a lot of fun. You get to kind of get to know them as people. You know, Just go back and watch the Taj Washington one. Uh, Chef Taj, that was a lot of fun. But there's a lot of really good ones. So I hope that you guys go check them out. We'll keep doing them. Probably even after the season ends, I think we'll probably keep you know bringing some of these players in. Loved having the Branch Brothers in studio here. That was a lot of fun too. So, uh, but that's going to wrap things up. Unless you guys have any final thought, anything anything on your mind besides sleep, food. Do you want, do you want to bring you want to bring Kristen in real no. quick? No. Okay. Doesn't want to keep away from these animals. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, right over there is Connor Morissette and uh, Chris Trevino. Do you want to do a pose, Chris? Because I know you like doing those. Do you have an idea for a pose? I just want to sleep. I'm going to be like this. Should we all do, well, I'll do this. Okay. Would you sleep? Would you sleep? Oh, yeah. Sleep this one. I'll sleep. Connor, you have to do it. No. You're, no. Do you see what you're doing? <laughs> I was doing my own thing. Okay. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Connor Morissette, Chris, and Trevino. I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoy the show. UCLA, 1230 kickoff in the Coliseum. Make sure you get out there. Check it out. The last game of the regular season for 2023 so go check it out i uh, hope you guys uh, enjoy the show and we will talk to you next time